We are a, a few weeks into a series of sermons on the presence of God. We're learning about God's persistence in saying, my name shall be there. Uh, in spite of human rebellion against me, in spite of the fact that those who are made in my image continue to run away from me and away from my purposes for them, God continues to move toward his world. Heidi, thank you for your prayer. Because in spite of your sin, your rebellion, church, against God, he continues to move into your life. He wants you to know him, and he wants you to live your life with him. Lord, we give you thanks for this morning, the ways that we have experienced your presence with us. Lord, you know where each of us have been this week. You know our thoughts, our anxious thoughts. You know our actions, and you have spoken and have been present here with us today already, and we give you thanks. Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here this morning who are ready to receive what you have for them. Lord, we ask that you would do a good work in us as we hear from your word right now. Amen. Last week, we we finished our sermon talking about God's calling on Abraham's life. God's calling on Abraham's life to go to this land that God would show him and that God would bless him. And Abraham went. And he went to where God showed him, to the land of Canaan. And the rest of the book of Genesis follows the stories of Abraham's descendants. His son Isaac, his grandson Jacob, and his great-grandsons, who eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. And throughout Genesis, we see how slowly, over time, they begin to take possession of this land that Abraham was promised by God. Little by little, they acquire more possession of the promised land. And these men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, Jacob's 12 sons, are, are known as the patriarchs. They are the fathers of our faith. And if you've never read Genesis and the stories of the patriarchs, you should do it this week. They are fascinating stories about these fathers of our faith. Because what we learn in these earliest chapters of our Bible is the prayer that Heidi prayed a moment ago. That these men were fathers in our faith, not because of how good a people that they were. They are fathers in the faith in many ways in spite of how lousy a people that they were. They are fathers in the faith because God chose them. God appeared to them. God spoke to them and called them and made them into who he wanted them to be. When you read these stories in these, the very beginnings of our Bible, we see that our faith is something very different from other religions. We discover that we become God's people, not because of how good we are, but because of how good God is. So read these stories and see If you don't think that you are good enough to be used by God, that's true. But you have a God who is good enough to use you. And just read those stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their failures. And Judah, what an awful story. 
Judah and Tamar. And we see over and over again that God uses these people for his purposes. So read Genesis 12 through 50 sometime in the next few weeks and watch how God does that. As I was reading through these chapters this week in preparation for this part of our our sermon series on the presence of God, I noticed something about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that's important for us to consider as we think about this theme of the presence of God. And I want to read a few of these stories to you now. These are stories uh, of moments when God showed up in Abraham or Isaac and Jacob's life. And I'm going to read these stories to you. I'm going to throw them up onto the screen. I just want you to think about some of the, the unique things that you notice about the way that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob respond. Genesis chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem, At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went toward the hills east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Genesis 13, 14 through 18. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and the south and to the east and to the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could not be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Isaac, Genesis chapter 26. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there, and he called on the name of the Lord. And there he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Jacob, Genesis 33, 18-20. After Jacob came from Padam Aram, he arrived safely in the city of Shechem, where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohi Israel, which means mighty is the God of Israel. Genesis 35, 1. And then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. What do you notice in these stories about the presence of God in the lives of the patriarchs? Each of these stories that I just read come at a moment in the lives of the patriarchs where God revealed himself to them in a unique way, came to them, showed himself in a unique way, made promises to them, a moment where God chose to meet with them. Now, we've been using this this image throughout this series to describe uh, the unique presence of God in the world. 
The Bible is a good news to good news story. At the very beginning of the story, God is there with his people. At the very end of the story, God will be there with his people. But sin has disrupted that, that unity that we share with God. But the story of the Bible is that God is at work to bring us together. And we find out throughout the scriptures that often that happens in a temple, in a place of worship. In these stories with the patriarchs, uh, we have these moments where God is showing up in their lives and he's saying to them, I am here with you. I I am making my dwelling place with you. As they're moving into this land that God has given to them, he's reminding them that as they go, that he goes with them. That he is making his place and their place the same place. And when God does that, he shows up and he speaks to the patriarchs. And after that, the patriarchs always do two things. Did you notice what they do? They do two things in response. The first thing that they do is they build an altar. They build an altar. An altar is a place of worship, like a temple. It's a place where they worship God who has made promises to them and has shown himself faithful to them. I think building an altar was also a way for them to to stake a flag in the ground and say, this spot belongs to God. God has promised it to us, and they are making, marking it as a reminder to them that God has been faithful to them, and as a reminder to themselves that this is a place where they experience God. God has been here, God is here, and he will be here. The altar is there as a place of worship, as a reminder of God's faithfulness to them at that particular time in their life. And what we see through these stories is that the patriarchs often return to these places where they built an altar. They don't just build them and then leave. They return to them. They're important places where they go back to to remind themselves that God showed up in their life. They go back there to worship. So the first thing they do in these stories after God shows up in their life and gives them a promise is that they build an altar in those places where they would experience the presence of God. What was the second thing that they do? Who noticed? They pitched their tents in that place. They settle or they pitch their tents right there in that place. In almost every instance in Genesis, there are eight of them that I found where one of the patriarchs built an altar or a pillar. In almost everyone, except for one exception, they build their altar and then they also settle there or they pitch their tents. And the one exception is a story we're going to read in just a minute. And the, that's the only an exception to the rule because Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau. But later, after things are safe and God calls him back to the land, he goes back to that place. They settle there. They pitch their tents. They make their home near God. The patriarchs are partnering with God to make their place and God's place the same place. In this place where God meets me, that's where I want to make my home. That's where I want to pitch my tent and settle here in this place where I know that I've experienced God's presence. So I want to spend a bit of time looking at Genesis chapter 28. I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 28. We're going to look at one of these specific stories where Jacob meets God 
and then builds an altar at Bethel. Genesis 28. I'm going to tell a little bit of the the story of Jacob. If you remember, uh, Jacob is Isaac's son, and Jacob had an older brother named Esau. Well, they were twin brothers, and Esau Esau, uh, came out first, but Jacob was there grabbing on to Esau's heel. And so they named him Heel Grabber. Which means trickster, okay? Jacob was a trickster. He, he tr- and what we see in the story of Jacob and Esau is that Jacob continues to steal and to trick Esau out of his birthright and his blessing. And so this story in Genesis 28 comes right after Jacob has tricked his father Isaac and has tricked his brother Esau so that his father Isaac would give him the blessing, And so Jacob hears that his brother Esau is furious about this, that he is actually out to kill him. And so he flees and he runs away. And then as he's just about to leave the land, he comes to this place. And we hear then this part of the story. Genesis chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I just want to test something out real quick. Got a rock here. Nope. (laughs) It's not comfortable. This is not a place where I'd want to sleep. Jacob is in a low place in his life. He is fleeing for his life. He is running away from his family. He may never see his parents again. He is afraid for his life. He has just done a despicable thing. He has lied to his father. He has tricked his brother out of what his brother deserved. Jacob is at a low point in his life, the lowest point in his life. And you know what else? He is all alone. All alone. He's by himself at the lowest point in his life. This man is in a bad way. He's sleeping on a rock. And God comes to him in that moment, and he shows him. He shows Jacob, I am with you. He shows him that there, even in that place, when Jacob is at his very lowest, Jacob, I am with you. Even in that very place, this is a place where heaven and earth are coming together. Jacob, I am with you, not because you are good, but because I am. Not because you are in a good place, but because you're in a bad place. Not because you're flying high. 
I am going to now extend my grace to you and show you that I am here with you. Friends, I want to ask you, if you're willing, would you stand up if this is your story? If God showed up in your life at that moment when you were at your very worst, when you were at your very lowest point, when you were at your, the end of your rope, is this your story? Would you stand up? <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. This is so often people's stories. You can have a seat. Thank you for doing that. This is the story for so many people. When we're at the end of our ability, when we're at the end of our effort, and we can't do it anymore, when we're at our very worst, God shows up. God is merciful and gracious in that way. And here's how Jacob responds. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven. He experienced that place where heaven and earth meet here in this dark plate time in his life. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, that reminder of how terrible a place he was in. He takes that stone under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the place Bethel, which means the house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. And here's the great part of, of the story. In this moment, in this dark time in Jacob's life, Jacob in that moment discovers for himself the personal name of God. Verse 20. Now, as we're reading, uh, beginning in verse 20, you need to remember that in our English Bibles, if you come across the word Lord, spelled in all capitals, capital L-O-R-N-D, it is the personal name Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. If you see the word God, G-O-D, it's the, the common name for God, which was Elohim, which was used for all of the God and the goddesses uh, that people around uh, them worship. So Elohim, G-O-D, as it's translated in our English Bibles, is, is the general name for God. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is the personal name for God. Verse 20, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I may return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. For Jacob, God is no longer this generic deity up there, no longer a divinity off in the distance. He is a God that Jacob knows and that Jacob has experienced. There's a story in the Gospel of John, which is in some ways the, the reverse of the story of Jacob. Turn to cha John chapter 1, verse 43. This is the story when, when Jesus meets a man named Nathaniel. And this story comes at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry where he's beginning to call disciples to come and to follow him. 
And in uh, beginning in John 1, verse 43, we have uh, Jesus meeting a man named Nathaniel. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about who the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Well, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see even greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. There was this point in Nathaniel's life where he was intentionally making his home with God underneath a fig tree. Sitting underneath a fig tree was a place of prayer. It's a place where uh, rabbis would take their disciples to sit and to learn. Because if you've ever seen a big tree, they have these nice big leaves. And they give great shade. So it's very hot in Israel. So a fig tree was a place where people would pray and think and learn. At some point in his life, Nathaniel took the time to make his home with God there, and God must have revealed something to him in that moment. We do not know what it is, but it was obviously very important to Nathaniel. Because in this story, Jesus approaches Nathaniel, and he reminds Nathaniel of that moment. And when Nathaniel is reminded of that moment, he declares who Jesus is, the Son of God and the King of Israel. And I want you to notice that Jesus is intentionally making us remember this story of Jacob because he says that Nathaniel is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Who was an Israelite in whom there was lots of things that were false? Jacob. He was the trickster. He was the liar. But here's Nathaniel, the opposite in some ways of Jacob, the true Israelite in whom there is no one false. And Jesus says to him, I will show you greater things than simply that I saw you under the fig tree that day when you were making your home with God. I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is calling to mind this story of Jacob's dream where these angels were ascending and descending on this stairway to heaven. And Jesus is saying that that story that Jacob had, that dream that Jacob had was ultimately about me. I am the place where heaven and earth come together, Jesus says. If you want to experience the presence of God in a very real way, Nathaniel, come to me. If you want to know the personal name of God, you can know that it is me, Jesus. It is true, as we saw today, that very often God meets with people when they're, when they're at their very lowest, but that's not the only place you have to go to meet with him. <laughs> it's true, he's down there in the pit, and so many of you have experienced that and have expressed that today. 
But in the story of Nathaniel, we can see that when we pursue God, when we make, seek to make our home with God, when we seek him with all of our hearts, that he will reveal himself to us in an even greater way than Jacob saw. The title of the sermon this morning is Making Your Home with God. As you read these stories of the patriarchs, it is clear that they weren't perfect people. Far from it. But what they did seek to do was to make their home with God. When God showed up in their lives, they pitched their tents in that place. That's where they wanted to be. I want to be near to God. That's what the patriarchs had in their hearts. I want God's place and my place to be the same place. Like the patriarchs, you and I are not perfect people. We stumble and fall just like the patriarchs did. But the invitation for us today is to follow their example and to seek to make our home with God. And today I want to give you two very practical, very clear, very tangible things for you to do this week in order to seek to make your home with God. The first is this. Consider this week where you are making your home. Are you making it with God or are you making it with other things? And by making your home, I mean, where are you spending your time? What receives your attention? What receives your presence? What are you looking at and what are you listening to? Now, this can be different for each of us, but in all of our lives, there are often some things that pull us away from making our home with God because we find more comfort for whatever reason in one thing or another. And I think for many of us, more and more, it's this, right? The average person checks this 160 times every single day. Most of you sleep with it about a foot from your head. It's the last thing that you look at before you go to bed. It's the first thing you look at when you get up. I saw this Valentine's Day is coming up. There is nobody else I'd rather lie in bed and look at my phone next to. Okay? Funny, not funny. Right? It's funny because it's not funny. These things are very useful, but unless we are intentional about it, we know how easy it is to make our homes with them. How very easy it is to turn to them when we're stressed out. Rather than dealing with what's really going on in our soul, we swipe through a screen. I was thinking about this week. What if Jacob, what if Jacob had an iPhone? He's at the worst and lowest point in his life. He's stressed, he's disappointed, he has disappointed God. He has disappointed his family. And he's laying there with his head on a rock. I just wonder if Jacob would have spent that time that night before he went to sleep scanning a phone, numbing his thoughts rather than attending to them. 
I wonder if he would have received that vision from God. And I just wonder, friends, how many things we are missing. Not just this. For you, it may be something else. Maybe some other distraction that you turn to. Some other thing where you make your home. But what are we missing? Because we're not willing to be quiet. Not willing to have silence in our life. Not willing to be alone with ourselves or with God or even with anyone else. (laughs) But to always fill our lives with these constant distractions that don't enable us to hear the still, small voice of God. What visions are we missing? Just yesterday morning, a friend of mine sent me a text in the morning. He had no idea what I was preaching about this week, had no idea that I had planned to lay my head on a rock on Sunday, on Sunday morning during my sermon. And he, he's going through a really difficult time in his life, a very dark time in his life. And he sent me a text and just said, Ryan, God woke me up at 4.30 this morning, and he's telling me that today I need to put my phone away and to simply spend the day studying him. I gave him a hug this morning, and he said, I can't wait to tell you what God has shown me. So the first tangible thing that I challenge you to do this week is to name those things in your life where you are making your home. Do you know what I mean by making your home? Those things, those places, those whatever it is, maybe not even bad things, you know? I mean, just things where we make our home rather than seeking that still, small voice from God. The second thing that I want to challenge you to do this week is to remember and reflect on those moments in your life when God met you. When you knew that God met you. Remember, remember, remember. Those words come up all the time in the Psalms. Remember. All the feasts and festivals in the Old Testament were occasions for God's people to look back and to remember some specific work that God did for them as a people. The patriarchs built these stone altars after God met them, and they returned to them to remember that God was real. And so this week, I'm asking you as your pastor, as your friend, to reflect and to remember those times when God spoke to you in your life and build an altar there in your soul. Remember that moment when you were feeling weary and disappointed, when you were frustrated and angry, when you were at the end of your rope, when you had disappointed yourself and other people, and God showed up. Bring that time back into your mind and build an altar there in your soul for you to come back and to remember. Come back and remember when God revealed himself to you in a personal way. 
when you learned that God has a name and that his name is Jesus. God in heaven, we thank you that you meet us in the pit when we're at our worst and our lowest. And Lord, that you also meet us when we are seeking after you. Lord, I pray for anyone this morning who is in a pit, who is in a dark place, and who needs to know that you are here and that you are real. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to them today. Lord, for others of us who may simply be apathetic or cold toward you, Lord, may we be like Nathaniel and seek you, seek to make our home with you, and that you would reveal yourself to us in a new way today. Lord, we love you that you are the kind of God and have given us a faith that doesn't say to us that you are only with us when we are good, but that you're with us because you are good. So we receive that in our lives today. And Lord, may that knowledge of your goodness and who you are, Lord, prompt us to seek you with all of our heart and our soul and our mind in our strength. Amen.